Welcome to the City Collective Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Uh, if you are new or you haven't been able to grab one of these over the last couple months, uh, we do have journals that we're walking through the year. Uh, outlines each of the series, different aspects of our spiritual practices, stories and resources that we want to make available to you as a church. We're on page 52 of our journal this week. Uh, and if you don't have one, it's a free gift from us. You can co- go and grab one in the foyer after service. I'm going to read our scripture this morning from Isaiah 42 verse 6, and then we're going to jump to Isaiah 49 verse 6. It says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness... I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I've kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. When we began this series, talking about the idea of what it is to be truly human, the heart of it lay in discovering our identity in Christ. Not simply as a good idea, not something that's simply prescribed scripturally, but out of our innate longing. We talked about it in week one. We have this longing within humanity of why am I here? What is my purpose? Is there more to life than simply what I'm seeing right now? And Jesus, he comes to earth not simply as, as God, but as, as a human. We talk about this as the incarnation. And what theologians and what the scripture talks about is the arrival of Jesus into history is this demonstration, this display, this interruption of what it is to not be simply God, but what it is to be truly human. That Jesus is this explanation, this definition, this example of what it is to be truly human. And so we look towards it with hope and and with possibility. And simultaneously we look at ourselves and we say, I might be missing the mark, but where do I look? How do I go forward? Well, we look to Jesus. Not just simply as our our salvation or as our Savior, but, but Jesus as the one to whom we see our lives might find purpose and meaning. This is what it is to be truly human. And so we've talked about it through a couple different lenses. We've talked about it through the lens of being a child of God, uh, of the royal priesthood, or this past week of being a worshiper. And all of these carry a, a generally positive connotation. We hear the word, we hear the language around it, and we think to ourselves, I can handle that. But... This week we're going to look at an identity that might make you a little, bit more comf- uh, a little bit more uncomfortable. And it's the idea of a witness. Uh, if the sermon title is anything this morning, it's Can I Get a Witness? When, when I ask the question, uh, or I make the, the statement that we're talking about witnessing or evangelizing, I wonder if your, your insides turn just a little you feel a general discomfort kind of come over you? Does your imagination begin to create some outs or ways that maybe I don't have to talk about 
my faith to other people. I don't have to talk about Jesus or I can avoid this sermon and, uh, well, the Super Bowl is next weekend, so you have all week to think about this. In Matthew, Jesus tells everyone with him, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That is to say, Jesus is saying, to follow him, part of our identity as a follower of Jesus, is to be a witness. Simultaneously, if we're looking honestly at our cultural moment, to evangelize in our cultural moment carries a baseline level of discomfort. Partly because of oft-used strategies, uh, an abuse of trust, marketing schemes over incarnational living, diminished discipleship, economic reasons being the reason why we're talking about Jesus, lost missional focus. We could talk at length of all the reasons why evangelism not only feels hard, but it can sometimes feel wrong. Or it's looked upon with disdain, not only by those who don't follow Jesus, but by those who do. But rather, this morning, I want to talk about this biblical identity. This this means in which we're invited to be truly human in being a witness. That being a witness is not a singular agenda. It's not a singular approach. That in fact, it's like this flywheel where we have a... An invitation to practice hospitality, to do kingdom work, to to bridge cultural divides, to partner with the Spirit of God, and to leave people with the question, why are they living that way? Living in such a way that it might beg a greater question that would be brought to you. The biblical language of, of that question is this idea of bearing witness. Not simply being a witness, but bearing witness. And bearing witness is a key aspect of our identity in Christ. Jesus even talks about this in the scriptures. He talks about bearing witness that in John 5.39, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is that they bear witness about me. They, They hold his very declaration of being they they put that forward and he says that about the scriptures and then he invites us to be his witnesses and then he asks us to bear witness so that we can hold him in our very being and have that be the display and the declaration of our lives and just before he returns to heaven Jesus explained to his disciples what they were to do after his departure he said to them what he says to them he also says to us you will receive power When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, this is in Acts 1 verse 8. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. On earth we are his witnesses. He does not send angels to proclaim his name. And he does not write the gospel in lightning across the skies. He uses people like us. And not simply because we are the last resort, but because your identity as a follower of Jesus holds this word witness. So this is what we're talking about this morning. And with the natural discomfort that can sometimes come with it, I'm going to pray for us. So Father, I ask 
that the walls in our heart that might naturally come up against the idea of evangelism or witnessing or declaring who you are might be broken down not through brute force but through a kindness of your spirit, through compassion of your heart, that it would lead us to a place of revelation of who you are and from that place we might actually have a sense of what it is to be a witness in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the uh, funny things about being a pastor is telling people I'm a pastor. Uh, not that I'm per se like leading with this statement, but in casual conversations, what is a question that often comes up? What do you do for work? Getting your hair cut, going to the dentist, whatever it is, they're going to ask you, what do you do for work? And I've tried to frame my response differently throughout the years, but I've come to the conclusion that a blunt and quick response is probably the best response. And it can lead to this somewhat surprised uh, refrain in return. Uh, maybe it's because I'm a little younger. Maybe it's because uh, I have brown skin. All these, people have assumptions for all these different reasons. But when they hear from a pastor, they're, they're surprised. And then their response it, it's, it's wide-ranging. Uh, I've, I've had it be that there's an, an, an immediate confession of religious background. Oh, I was a Christian back in the day, but, you know, I haven't gone to church in a while. Oh, yeah. I, I, it's okay. I, thanks. Thank, thank you for your confession. Uh, <laughs> there, there can be just like a complete disregard of it. For some, I've had a passionate conversation come out of it. Some, it's like a gradual distancing. Immediately you feel them slowly start to like back away from the conversation. And for others, it's a complete and immediate disengagement. Uh, there are plenty of assumptions that come with the territory of being a pastor and people learning about it. But one of them that often people hold is this feeling that when they come across a pastor, proselytizing is going to take place. Evangelism, witnessing to them is going to take place in that moment. And on more than one occasion, when my vocation became known in a group setting, the first response to me when I go and try to introduce myself to someone that has just learned that I am a pastor is, I'm not interested in God. Hi, my name's Jason. Like, that's, that's all I'm really trying to do in this moment. Now, I, I'm not... I, I'm not afraid or shy from having faith conversations. Uh, I re revel in the opportunity when someone is excited to talk about the possibility of, of Jesus. But I find that this assumption of evangelism and witnessing and proselytizing being a negative one, fascinating. It seems to invoke a defensive response. And here's the thing, if Jesus wants us to be a witness, uh, I'd like to think that it's not just meant to prov provoke a defensive response, but it's meant to lead to a life-giving one. And the response of many people when they hear is, it isn't a good one, and it would leave, lead me to believe this, that there is something off in our understanding of what it is to be a witness. That we've, we've, we've somehow lost the narrative. So we're going to look very closely at the word itself. The dictionary defines the word witness this way. It says, one who has seen or heard something and one who furnishes evidence. 
A witness is someone who knows something to be true. In a court of law, a witness swears on the Bible and promises to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And they've seen something and they want to bear witness to it. To bear witness is to begin to share what they've seen. So let's simplify it. Let's not simply apply our maybe anecdotal evidence or our experiences of the idea of witness. The idea of a witness is I have seen something. And to bear witness is that I want to share something that I have seen. And I believe it to be truthful. I believe it to be meaningful. So much so that I will share it with another. In Hebrew, the word for bear witness is this word ud. And in Greek, it's martyrial. They say something and they share it. Or they see something and then they share it. That's what a biblical witness is. And it's what it's meant for us to understand. For example, in, in the story of Ruth, when Boaz buys land from Naomi's family, he calls together witnesses to see the transaction so that if there's a later dispute they can bear witness about what they saw. God wants a group of witnesses. Not just people who feel like there is an obligation to tell others about Jesus because it will get them into heaven one day. Not just this idea that would somehow be part of a religious routine. But he wants a group of witnesses that have seen something. And they want to share the thing that they have seen. And this is not new. This is not just because after Jesus, from the very beginning of time, humanity has been imbued with this responsibility of witness. We look at the people of Israel and the nation of Israel was called to be a witness to other nations, to declare who God is, that he was a God above all other gods, and they, they would fall short. And then he would put that upon people, someone like Moses, who ascends Mount Sinai. He goes to the top, he sees God, he has an experience with God, and he's actually invited to go down and be a witness to the people of who God is. I've had this face-to-face -face experience with God, and I want you to have that as well. He asks humanity to be his witness, and he always has. This is what a witness is. And do you see... How this can feel different than perhaps the way evangelism or being a witness has been experienced or portrayed within other circles. Or within maybe just a church circle in general. Bearing witness begins with a revelation of truth. I have seen something. And then based on what I have seen and experienced, I want to share it. Our task as witnesses is not to usher in some kind of Christian utopia. It's not to run the world. And it's not to destroy all evil. Jesus stands as the victor. Jesus stands as king. Jesus provides healing to the world, reconciling us to the Father. To be a witness is tied to our purpose. And it's a beautiful calling to bear witness to the world of who God is, what we have seen, how it has changed us, and how the world is intended to be in response. It is to bear witness, not just with our speech, which does matter. 
but with our very lives. During the third century, in Rome, there was an individual by the name of St. Lawrence who was one of seven deacons in the early Christian church. During the reign of Roman Emperor Valerian, Christianity faced severe persecution. And in 258 AD, Emperor Valerian issued an edict ordering the persecution of Christians and the seizure of their property. As a prominent Christian figure, St. Lawrence was arrested by Roman authorities and ordered to hand over everything to the government. Instead of complying, Lawrence made the decision to distribute all of his wealth to the poor and needy of Rome, demonstrating his commitment to serve the marginalized and the oppressed. When the Roman prefect heard of this act of Lawrence doing just that, he called him to him, and Lawrence famously presented the poor, the sick, and the suffering, and he declared them to be the true treasures of the church. Enraged by this defiance, the Roman authorities subjected him to brutal torture, including being roasted alive on a gridiron. Despite this excruciating pain, he remained steadfast. And the story goes, reportedly, that even in this moment of pain, he started to joke with his tormentors, and he said, turn me over, I'm done on this side. Lawrence's martyrdom took place on August 10th, 258 AD. And his story has been a part of Christian history long after. And his story isn't isolated. Within the first 300 years or so of the Christian movement, of the way of Jesus, as it began to grow in momentum and in, and in impact across the Roman Empire and beyond, there was incredible persecution. There is estimates of not just hundreds, not just thousands, but hundreds of thousands of Christians being bro- brutally tortured and martyred for their faith. And these are in the first years of its ex- existence. There was no upside societally to being a Christian. And this raises the question, why would so many people join the way of Jesus knowing that it would likely cause them pain, suffering, and possibly death? What was it about the gospel that made hundreds of thousands choose death with Jesus over life with Rome? Larry Hurtado and his book, Destroyer of Gods, argues that it wasn't Christians' relevance or relatability that made the gospel so attractive, often markers that we equate with evangelism in our modern context. What he noted, it was likely the exact opposite. It was their distinctiveness. It was the the way in which they separated themselves from the way of Rome, and they adopted the way of Jesus. It was a whole new way of living. It was a whole new way of human flourishing. And some people were simply drawn to this new way, certainly. They saw that there was a new way of going about things, and they thought, well, that looks like it's meaningful and, and powerful. I'm going I'm to try that. Simultaneously, there was more taking place that those early followers of Jesus were willing to give their lives 
because they saw something. They experienced something. They were a witness through and through that they had seen something that had transformed their life and they could not unsee it. Despite the reality of persecution, despite the reality of torture, they could not unsee the revelation of Jesus that had transformed their hearts and they chose death with Jesus over life with Rome and in turn they found life with Jesus for eternity. These early followers give us a beautiful story. Even the way in which they gathered was different. Often we equate evangelism and being a witness with our Sunday gatherings. And these are beautiful opportunities. But for the early church, they were persecuted so much so that they did not market or advertise that they were gathering. Because if they were to do so, it was likely that instead of a newcomer showing up, it would be the Roman guard ready to kill them. So they met in the underground. They, they, they met and they gathered and they experienced spiritual formation together. And the growth of the early church was not through salvation calls in Sunday gatherings. The growth of the early church was the demonstration of what it was to be a follower of Jesus in the lives of those who were in those communities. That it led the people around them to ask the question, to beg the question, why do you live the way that you live? And that's how the church grew. That's how evangelism took place. That's what their witness really came to be. I'm not diminishing the importance of our gatherings. I, I see incredible value in coming together, of inviting our friends and family. I certainly want you to do so on a Sunday morning. But it is more than that. If anything, this is, this is the baseline. The real witness that we're called to be, our identity that we're invited to hold is to be like Jesus, to have our lives be, to be driven and held by this self-giving love because we've seen something and we can't unsee it. Rome was afraid of the Christian church, not because of threats that they gave to Rome, but because the way of Jesus was so in opposite to the way of Rome. John Mark Homer says, people who are not afraid of death are a threat to the power brokers of the age because they can do extraordinary things with their life. Today, followers of Jesus are still killed for their faith, which is easy for us to forget within our Western comfort. Some estimate as many as 150,000 Christians are killed every year around the world, mostly in the Muslim world, also in North Korea, China, and corners of the Hindu world, even in corners of the, of the Buddhist world. Now, while thankfully the, the worst thing that I experience as a pastor as far as persecution is people saying mean things about me and my feelings getting hurt. It's in, in context, it's, it's irrelevant in many ways. But the reality is, as followers of Jesus, we do face considerable decisions on a daily basis in which we have to choose between Jesus and the world. And when that question is placed in front of us, what if it was something that we should not fear, but rather it was good news? 
So we're going to talk about three ideas about what it is to be a witness. And it's, it begins with this idea of a, of a revelation, a revelation for bearing witness. Let me be clear. Provocation of others in the name of Jesus for the purpose of Christian ideals, which lacked Christ-like character in our communication, is not what Jesus is talking about. And it's not bearing witness. Bearing witness is not just simply the thing that is said. It is the person that we are representing. It is the embodiment of Christ in our lives. Certainly that means saying difficult things, but that does not mean saying it in an unchristlike manner. And it's not because we've just had an understanding that's come upon us. I now understand the Christian walk. It is a revelation that leads us to bear witness because a revelation does more than fill our heads with good ideas. A revelation pierces our very being. It invades our soul and makes our lives different. We need a revelation of Jesus. We need to see something for ourselves to be the witness that we are called to be, to truly bear witness. And sometimes along the way, that means it's difficult. That means it's hard. And it means the suffering comes alongside it. Ultimately, the, the way of Jesus is this self-giving love. It's this denial of self. And therefore, suffering will come along that way. Paul called this the participation in the sufferings of Christ. And he said, it's like you get a deeper level of intimacy with Jesus when you experience a taste of what he underwent to love us in our sin. Now this approach to life flies in the face of society. It, it, it's saying that the point of life is not pleasure and it's not happiness. The point of life is not to just simply feel, feel good. It's not just our career. It's not just things moving forward in an upward right manner all the time. It's to deepen our intimacy with God through some surrender. It's the healing and formation of our soul into a people of self-giving love. And if this is the case, then Jesus' logic that he gives in Matthew chapter 5 is perfectly sound when he says, when people revile you, make fun of you, say nasty things about you, rejoice and be glad. That this is not just a nice idea that he wants us to, to think upon, but it's actually a place for us to recognize we are walking in his way. A few weeks back, we looked at a passage from 1 Peter in which we considered the idea of being a royal priesthood. As priests, our invitation is to li live lives of sacrifice. Immediately after this passage, there's a, a narrative provided by Peter of what it is to actually live a life not separate from society, but side by side. This is part of our challenge as well. A revelation of bearing witness is a revelation of how Jesus did it. He did not diminish others. He did not push them away. In fact, he dove straight into the mess. He was shoulder to shoulder with what the language is, with, with, with a pagan world. And pagan is, is not a, a derogatory term. It's actually just the language that they use for, for their religious practices at the time. Shoulder to shoulder, he came alongside them. 
And he said, to be with them is to be like Jesus. And so Peter, he, he takes this forward. And he urges people to listen. In 1 Peter 2, verses 11 to 12, he says, Dear friends, I urge you. There's a pastoral nature to this urge. He's not angry with them. He, he's, he's coaxing them forward. He says, as foreigners and as exiles, these are two metaphors that are meant for us to understand that our primary citizenship is not in place, it's not in country, and it's not in ethnicity. It's in fact in the kingdom of heaven. That the kingdom of God calls us into be a, a holy people, a holy nation. Peter used this language. Our primary family identity is in the family of God. And this does not diminish the fact that my last name is Charles or that I have Indian descent. But it does make it secondary to the fact that I have a place in the kingdom of God and am invited to be part of that. That followers of Jesus are called to be a new race by their Roman critics. And so it goes on to say, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against their soul. He's talking about those primal base appetites that we all are challenged by. And he says, live such good lives among the pagans. Like I said, shoulder to shoulder, side by side. Not a derogatory term, but calling people as they wish to be called. Though they call, accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. He's saying live in such a way that it is beautiful and compelling among others. And that you could be accused of anything, that you'd be accused of being like Jesus. And though they might accuse you of doing wrong, though they accuse you, the early Christians were accused of, by a, of a multitude of things. Because of the fear that was rising up in the Roman Empire... Many of the practices adopted by Christians were dramatized by the Roman dialogue to be something that they were not. Because they took communion. The Romans called them cannibals. Because they only worshipped one God and they were not polytheistic as many were in that time, they were called atheists. And because they called each other's brothers and sisters in Christ, they were accused of incest. Accusations meant to tarnish their witness to those who might hear it, but the people that saw them could not deny that the way of Jesus was different. A revelation had done something within them. And Peter, he's calling people forward into this way. And then simultaneously, he's riffing on the Sermon on the Mount. He's saying, as Jesus did, that you are the light of the world. You're a city on a hill. And he wants to give light to all those around us. Before others, that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Peter's using the same language. Why? Because Peter had a revelation. And Peter is in this text bearing witness of who Jesus is. And he's inviting you and I to bear witness. The call of Jesus isn't just to preach the good news. It's to become good news people. This is what it is to be a witness. 
to embody the gospel of the kingdom of God, to become people who are living joyfully in the kingdom of God with Jesus right in the middle of whatever empire we find ourselves in. And we don't have to do this on our own because the second piece of, being a bear, of bearing witness is that we have power for it. When Jesus says, you are my witnesses, he prefaces it by saying, I am sending my spirit. <coughs> I am empowering you and emboldening you to do the very work that you are made to do. And thank goodness that this is the case. It is the way of life that they are called to live in. And Jesus says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be witnesses. And the scriptures speak of Jesus leading the way by example. I love this when it comes to seeing our identity in Christ. That all aspects of our, identity, of our identity are not just simple things said from a stage. They're not just things written down. They're the very being of Jesus coming to the forefront. The scripture that we read this morning in Isaiah speaks of a servant that would come and would be the witness of who God is. The chief witness to all nations so that they might have a revelation of who God is. That God has come to save the world. That there is a new king who's come on the scene. And it's speaking in a prophetic tone of Jesus to come. And then Jesus comes. And the, the divine speaker announces the presence of a ser servant chosen by God. And this ultimate chief witness is a figure in the posture of a servant like Jesus. And then Jesus comes. And he lives this way. And many recognize who he is actually. They respond to his message. But many others refuse to truly see. Even the nation's leaders, they won't listen to him. Rather, they kill Jesus for bearing witness to God's kingdom. And then after Jesus' death, he does something amazing. And Jesus' friends see him alive from the dead. And they recognize that the divine king himself has come to rescue the world. So they've seen it. It's been a revelation in their heart. And even at that point... Jesus says, I'm not leaving you empty-handed, but there's a, a power that I'm giving you to bear this witness even when it feels impossible. Now look to Jesus. He's, he's the one who's come to be the chief witness. We follow his lead. And when we do so, we begin to be transformed. Worship team, you can join me at the front. Because to, to bear witness is not just simply like a court of law where we say something we've seen. There, it is a prophetic witness. It's, it means this. It means that the words of heaven, that means that the desires of heaven, the longing of heaven is being shared on earth through your life. Do you know that within your very being, you are the place in which heaven and earth intersect because the Holy Spirit lives within you when you choose to follow Jesus? When that revelation comes upon you, power comes within you, and transformation takes place all around you. This is the, the process of bearing witness that we are not left on our own and we're not left the same. If you don't feel like bearing witness is possible today, you're in good company. If you feel like telling people, your friends, your family about Jesus doesn't feel possible today, know that that is perfectly okay because the revelation of Jesus isn't meant to simply be a good idea left on the side. It's meant to change us. 
It's meant to do something within us, not for our own purposes, not to grow a church, not to simply get people baptized, but because we believe that I have seen something that has changed my life and I need to share this because I wanted to change yours. This is what it is to bear witness because we speak truth to power. The, the, the history of the church is speaking truth to power and the cost has been martyrdom. If you notice that the, the Greek word for bearing witness is the base for the word martyr. That we want to stand with the marginalized. This is a transformation of our very being where we think of others before we think of ourselves. Mother Teresa says, small, small acts of great love. We begin to live outside of an inward focus. Where we begin to seek reconciliation and restoration. Where we begin to live counterculturally. Because the life of Jesus makes it clear that the way of Jesus is the opposite of any other way. And the inevitability of it is that suffering will come, but it is not meant to lead to pain for eternity, but joy that consumes our life. Gerald Sitzer says, to experience joy, we must let go of our need to control, our preoccupation with ourselves, and our obsession with our pain. Hear me, church. You are a new race. So relinquish control because you've been reborn. To follow Jesus is to do as Jesus did. He is the chief witness that bears witness of who God is. And he as the truly human one is named as the one bearing witness for humanity to see salvation. That God is coming to rescue the world. The call of Jesus isn't just to preach good news and say good things. It's to become good news people. And what's the good news? That Jesus came, dwelt within humanity, experienced the brokenness that we see every single day and did not run from it, did not hide from it, but he entered into it, brought it upon himself, offered no anger in return. He did not run from it. He took it upon himself. He went to the cross, carried our sins with him, died and he rose again three days later defeating death itself so that real life can be found for each and every one of us here and now and real life is not just eternal life for a day to come it is today that's what it is to be good news people to live in the life of Jesus today revelation power transformation you can bear witness it's not based upon personality type. It's not based on spiritual gifts. It's not based on vocation. It's not left to the pastor to do from a platform. It is the people of God being good news people. And there's no time to begin this, no better time to begin this journey than right now. And to simply ask this question, what have you seen? What have you experienced? Have you seen Jesus do something in your life, in your family's life, in your church's life? Have you forgotten what that looked like, what that felt like because of the reality of our day-to-day? 
Have you lost your imagination for what God's love really does in this world? Witness is not predicated on personality, strategy, or style. Witness is born by, from a revelation of God. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can be and will be transformed. And when we're a transformed people, we see a transformed world. So I wonder if that question might just remain with us. To follow Jesus should lead to self-giving love. And maybe you've walked a long ways down that journey. Maybe you're just starting that journey this morning. But have you forgotten what you have seen? He wants you to remember that. Because to remember what you have seen is to remember who you are. And then life looks a lot different. So would you pray with me this morning? Father, open our eyes, open our ears, open our minds for the blocks and the, the barriers that seem to be in place that don't want us to remember the way that you showed up in our story, the way that you healed our family, the way that you provided hope in darkness, the way that you provided forgiveness in brokenness, the way that you made a way where there was no way. Jesus, remind us this morning. Let our hearts be convicted just to remember We can do 15 ways to evangelize every single time we gather together. But Jesus, none of it matters if we're not reminded and we don't remember, if we don't have a revelation of who you are. So reveal that to us this morning. For those who don't know you, I just pray for a revelation of your love and your sacrifice to overwhelm their hearts. That they might see that that was done for them. And for those of us this morning that have walked the, the, the Christian path, you've made that choice and perhaps you've forgotten, perhaps your resistance to the identity of being a witness. This is who you're made to be. This is who you're called to be and who this is who you're empowered to be. And it begins with remembering. What have you seen? And can you begin to share what you've seen with the world? Stir boldness and courage and joy within our community. Because it's your kingdom that we desire to come. And it's your will that we long to be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it encouraged and blessed you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.